The prophet Nahum said, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And the Lord knoweth them who put their trust in him. Somebody said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. David said, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. And I'm drinking out of the saucer. Amen, somebody. Anybody here know anything about overflow blessings? Praise the Lord. I've been blessed. I've been blessed better than I sowed. No, no, no. I reaped better than I sowed. Y'all ain't looking right. I'm so glad that God has not dealt with me according to my transgressions. Yeah, yeah. Am I the only one in the house that has some transgressions tonight? Y'all getting mighty quiet on me now. But it's so good to be here tonight, and I recognize that time is of the essence, and uh, Brother Green is quick on the drawback here, so he, he's my friend, but I, 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 he's kind of quick on the draw, so let me extend my gratitude to Dr. Carruthers, uh, the leaders of the great church there, uh, where he serves, and the triad preachers who are working uh, so carefully and closely with him. Uh, in putting together this program, this lectureship, and I want to thank him for the privilege and the opportunity of appearing on the lectureship this year. I want to offer uh, my uh, appreciation to the speakers that have gone before, my son Marcus T. Watkins, uh, who served with me some eight years there in Valdosta, Georgia, and I'm so proud of the way that he's developed and the great preacher that he's become. Amen. Also proud to be on program with Brother William Jones, good friend of mine, powerful preacher. And did he not do a great job on this evening? I'm privileged to have with me my wife of nearly 42 years. Uh, Sister Gloria Ann Bythewood Butler, the pep in my step, the glide in my stride, and the wind beneath my wings. It's good to have Gloria with me on the night. Now, lest we keep you too long, if you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to commence the reading with verse number one. 
Hebrews 10, verse number 1. If you have it, would you say amen? If you believe the Bible is the word of God, say amen again. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image or substance of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the commas thereunto perfect. For then would they have ce- for the- pardon me, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now look with me to verse number 14 where the Bible says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now in the verses I've just read, the writer is about to set forth the proposition that we can be made perfect even in our imperfections. That's because of the substantial superiority of Christ's sacrifice over the sacrifices of the law, which are described as shadows. Christ offered the substance of what those sacrifices foreshadowed and what he offered for us and what he obtained for us was far superior to anything that was offered or obtained through the law. The superiority of substance overshadows. But I want to tag this lesson You can be perfect even in your imperfections. Now that ought to be good news for at least a few people in the house tonight. Now I know most of you already got it together. But there's still a few of us who could use some help in getting it together. There are at least a few of us that still wrestle with some imperfections. Uh, Paul, Paul sets the stage for the proposition of our text in the previous chapter when he says in Hebrews 9 and verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. In other words, one man bore the sins of many. Well, God laid on him the sins of us all. And if you believe that he died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead, and, that, and, and following on that belief, you've been baptized in obedience to his command, the moment you go down in that water, God transfers your sins to Jesus Christ. 
And so now God sees us without sins. I says he sees us without sins. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say God sees us as sinless creatures. We are not sinless creatures. We still have sin and we still will sin. Come on, somebody. We still continue to sin in some fashion and in some measure in the future, but God sees us now without sin because he has laid all our sins on Jesus Christ. So, child of God, whenever you sin, remember your sins have been transferred to Christ. Confess your sins. Keep on holding on to your faith in what God has done. And don't fall prey to feelings of condemnation and guilt because the blood of Christ continuously cleanses us from all of our sins. In, 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 in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that in your Bible? Well, how does he cleanse us? Verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light... Come on, somebody. Well, well, what is walking in the light? It certainly is not walking in sinless perfection. We just got through talking about that. It's walking in the knowledge and the revelation that Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh and that he gives us eternal life. And if you hold on to that conviction, you have fellowship. You have agreement with the apostles who had agreement with the Father and with the Son and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. In the Bible class in the old church, they told us that if it ends with a TH, that means it kept on doing it. Come on, somebody. It keeps on cleansing us from all of our sins. Well, how can he do that? Because Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Just got through reading that. Did you notice John says God is faithful and just? He didn't say merciful and kind, even though he is. He didn't say sympathetic and compassionate, even though he is. But that's not the basis upon which he forgives us. It's upon a legal and contractual basis that he forgives us of our sins. Well, you're looking at me that you don't, like you don't know what I'm talking about. But God signed a promissory note way back in Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 when he said he was going to make a new covenant with with his people, not like the old covenant. And he said, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. John says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our, somebody say all, 
from all our sins. I don't have to go around with my head hung down when God has laid on Christ all my sins and all my iniquities. I don't have to be depressed when Christ has borne all my grief and all my sorrows. I don't have to be shackled with guilt and self-hatred because with his stripes, I said with his stripes, I wish I had some help in here. With his stripes, I've been healed. Notice, notice, notice. Hebrews 9, 28, the Bible says, And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Listen to it in the ESV. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time not to deal with the sins of his people. Not to deal with the sins of his people. Not to deal with the sins of his people. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Y'all still don't look convinced. The NIV says not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, whatever the salvation is, it doesn't have anything to do with the sins of his people because he's already dealt with that. Did y'all hear what I said? He's already dealt with that. Then if that's the case, then what is he coming back to save them from? He's coming back to save us from the bondage of corruption and physical death. Y'all didn't shout. You act like you don't get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, the key, the key is in the text and it's in the phrase that says look for. It means, look for means to look with waiting expectation even unto the end. Listen, we are looking for and expectantly waiting for the third stage of our salvation. Did y'all hear what I said? The third stage of our salvation. Yes, I'm saved, but there are three stages to my salvation. Saved, justified, uh-huh, saved, sanctified, and then saved, glorified. I wish I had a learning church in here. And so we're looking not for the redemption of our souls, but the redemption of our body. Our souls have already been redeemed. I said, I've already been redeemed. We've already been justified. I'm just waiting to be glorified. Romans 8, 23, the Bible says, We ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting. The same Greek word that you find in Hebrews chapter 9, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of my body. Let me tell you something. When he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Christ secured for us eternal redemption. I said eternal redemption. And that which he offered for us was substantially superior to that which was offered under the law. And that which he obtained for us was substantially superior. Now in, now in Hebrews 10, in verse number 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, 
can never with those sacrifices which they offered you by you continually make the commas thereunto perfect. Christ accomplished once and for all what the priest of the Old Testament could not do. They could not make the worshipers at the tabernacle under the Old Covenant perfect. Now once again, perfect has nothing to do with sinless perfection. It has nothing to do with perfection in your actions. And if you read Hebrews 9, it talks about being perfect in your conscience. Your conscience can be perfect, even though your actions may not be perfect. Now, I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I'm not talking about becoming a sociopath. This is not about feeling good in spite of the evidence about you. This is about feeling good in light of the evidence about Christ. Notice what the verse says in Hebrews 10. It says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Talking about the sacrifices of the old covenant. Would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin? But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. Your actions may not be perfect, but you can have a perfect conscience. Well, what is a perfect conscience, preacher? I'm so glad you asked. It's a conscience that has no consciousness of sin debt. No consciousness of sin debt. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Listen to what I said. No consciousness of sin debt. If you understand that Jesus paid for your sins once and for all, you are not walking around with a conscience that preoccupied with thoughts and fears about the debt of sin that has already been dealt with by Christ. Are y'all following me? Well, some of you still look like you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, let's consider this. Let's consider, let's say that you owe uh, Brother Carruthers uh, $10,000. You owe him $10,000 and you ain't got $10,000. So every time you're around him, you don't feel all that comfortable. As a matter of fact, you can't even look him straight in the face. Say amen if you can. Because in your mind, you're thinking that he's thinking ill thoughts about you because you owe him money and you ain't paid him. Are y'all still with me? But let's just keep on imagining that somebody who likes you, who loves you, hears about your debt and comes along and pays him. How much do you owe him? Pays him $10 million. Not only has he paid the debt, but he has overpaid your debt. Say amen if you can. We like to say Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe. But you know what? He paid a whole lot more than you recognize. He overpaid your debt. I said he overpaid your debt. It was not just for your past sins, but he paid for your present sins. He paid for your future sins. He paid for sins of commission. He paid for sins of omission. He paid for sins of disposition. Say amen if you can. Because some of us got a stinking attitude. Oh, praise the Lord. Y'all ain't looking right, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. 
this mic's about to make me lose my voice. But you know what? He didn't only pay for sins that you commit. He paid for sins that you're thinking about committing. Y'all ain't looking right. And you better hope that's right. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said this. He says, whosoever looketh, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust at, oh, let me hurry, let me hurry. Let me hurry. So, so, 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what is a perfect conscience? It's a conscience with no consciousness of sin debt. So when you come before God, he does not want you to come with a conscience of sin debt. He doesn't want you to come with guilt on your conscience. Well, how is that possible? Verse 10 I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 2, because the worshipers once purged, somebody say once purged, would have no more conscience of sins. And church, let me tell you, I've been purged. My conscience is clear. My conscience does not condemn me because God does not condemn me. Y'all ain't looking right. My debt is paid. As a matter of fact, it's overpaid. God's grace is greater than all my sins. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. So I'm going to have to find a way to cut through in here. But the sacrifices of the law were just a shadow of good things to come. Worshippers under the old covenant did not have a perfect conscience. Even though countless lambs were killed down through the years before Christ came. Those lambs were nothing more than a shadow of the good things to come. And those good things came with the offering of Christ on the cross of Calvary where he purged our sins and purged our conscience. Under the old covenant, every year on the day of atonement, sacrifices were made and the sins of the people were covered for one year. It was efficacious, that is, the blood of lambs and goats, but only for one year. It had power, but just for one year. After one year, it lost its power. For one year, Israel had assurance of victory in vanishing their enemies. For one year, Israel had assurance of the fruitfulness of their fields. Assurance of the fertility of their flocks. Assurance concerning the health and well-being of their households. Assurance of prosperity of material wealth. The blood of bulls and goats had power, but the power of the blood decreased over time. In other words, it had an expiration date. But I'm glad tonight that the blood that I'm under has no expiration date. I'm glad that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus because I heard that it will never lose its power. 
Andre Crouch had it right when he said, the blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary, it shall never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain, flows to the lowest valley. It will never lose its power. It soothes my doubts, calms my fears, dries up all my tears. The blood of Christ, it gives me strength from day to day. It will will never, never lose his power. And because of that, I can be perfect even with my imperfections. Now, I'm going to try to be obedient, but I got to leave you at least with this other point here. Notice the pastor says we can have boldness because of the blood. We can have boldness because of the bearer of that blood. You know, the Bible says we have a high priest over the house of God, and that high priest is Christ. And we are to draw near with a true heart. Isn't that what the Bible says? But that word true in the original, alethanos, means true and trustworthy. Let us draw near with a true and trustworthy heart. Well, what is a trustworthy heart? Some of you know the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So how can you have a trustworthy heart? First of all, that passage appears in the Old Testament. Well, that doesn't mean that it's not true because it appears in the Old Testament. But it means that it's, it's, it's not true. Uh, well, it's true, but it's Truth is limited to hearts that are not regenerated. You see, regeneration is a new covenant benefit. David cried out in Psalms 51, create in me a new heart. Y'all remember reading that? Well, the word new there is the Hebrew word bara, and it means creative activity of God which brings something out of nothing and it was not just a res restoration that David was looking for. He wanted a new heart. He wanted a clean heart. Well how many of you know that every believer under the new covenant is promised a new heart? It's promised a regenerated heart. Ezekiel 11, you go ahead and read it. That's why the invitation under the new covenant is to draw near with a true heart. How do you obey that if the heart of the believer is desperately wicked? Well, let me tell you something else. The Greek word, alethanos, also means judiciously, judicially righteous. Judicial has to do with judges and a court of law. I mean, you know, God is the righteous judge. He has ruled in the court of heaven and declared every believer's heart purged by the blood of Jesus Christ to be true, to be new, and judicially righteous. Y'all sing that song, Is Thine Heart Right? With God washed in the crimson flow, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right? In the sight of God. Do y'all believe that? Do you believe your heart is made right in the sight of God? A true heart is trustworthy because it is judicially righteous in the sight of God. And the Bible said, let us draw near with a true heart that is declared righteous by God. 
Now, the Hebrew writer goes on to explain a little further, expand a little further what it means to have a true heart. Now, watch this. He says, having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now, the word evil in the original, in Poneros, it means harmful in its influence. Harmful in its influence. Well, how can our conscience be hurtful or harmful in its influence? Well, when it is not operating based on truth. When your conscience is not operating based on truth, it will be harmful to you. Listen, I ha- the truth is I have been acquitted and cleansed of my sins. God is not holding my sins against me. He has punished my sins in the body of Jesus on the cross. The, tr- the truth is my sin debt has been paid. No, it's been overpaid. Listen, listen, listen. When my conscience, y'all getting quiet. When my conscience tries to convict me for sins that's been paid by the blood of Jesus, it's exerting a harmful influence and an impediment to me in my efforts to draw near to God. It will block anything I try to do for God. When my conscience keeps crying out, unclean, unclean, I become paralyzed in my praise. I become stunted in my service. I become weak in my worship, and my joy is in jeopardy because my conscience is not tuned up with the truth of Almighty God. Heart and conscience work together. And if I believe something in my heart, my conscience will, will, will acquiesce to what my heart believes. But if I don't believe it in my heart and I start trying to do something that my heart doesn't believe I'm supposed to do, something I'm not fit to do, my conscience will not agree. As a matter of fact, it will block me from doing it. That's why some people don't do anything in the church. Amen, somebody. Don't you dare get up there and pray no prayer. Don't you know that you are not perfect? Don't you know that you've been doing some things or you made some mistakes? Listen, you may have made some mistakes, but if you confess your sins, come on somebody, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is not calling us to sinless perfection. He's calling us to faith in the one who was sinless and who was perfect and whereby that faith he is able to declare that you have a perfect heart. Now I got to go to my seat. I got to go to my seat now. Uh, the timekeeper has been more than more than generous, more than kind. But if you want to be free from influence of an evil conscience, have it sprinkled with the truth of the cleansing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me hurry now. I'm trying to find where I can land this thing, but notice the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I'm not perfect in myself, but I am perfect in Christ. I'm not perfect in myself, but I have put trust in him who can make me perfect. That's because he's the perfect high priest. Do you know the Bible calls him the great high priest? He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than Moses. And he's greater than the angels. I'm headed to my seat now, but before I go, you remember the woman at the well asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well? He let her know he was greater because he said, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But if you believe on me, I'll give you well on the inside of you, springing up into eternal life. 
The Jews asked him, are you greater than our father Abraham? He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. He said, before Abraham was, he said, I am, so you make up your own mind. Church, I come to tell you, he's the greatest of all time. His name is greater than the name of angels. His name is greater than the name of Moses. That we, He's the greatest that ever lived, and he has the greatest name. That's why we worship in that name. The only way you can truly worship God is in his name. There is something about that name. Demons tremble at that name. Death ears are open at that name. Blinded eyes are open at that name. Withered hands are straightened out at that name. Bent backs straighten up. Come erect at that name. Lame legs walk at that name. Issues of blood stop flowing at that name. Funerals turn into celebrations at that name. Death gave up its dead at that name. Power was given in his name. The gospel is preached in that name. Relief is realized in that name. Confession is made by his name. Sin washed away through his name. And the church of Christ was built on that name. And because of that, I can be perfect in my imperfections. I have the duty of extending the Lord's invitation tonight. If there's someone here who doesn't know Christ in the pardoning of your sins, we say that and often that goes right over people's head. But listen, if you have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, was crucified, buried, and raised again the third day. If you will have faith in that and believe the testimony of the gospel, and if you're willing to hear the voice of Jesus when he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And if you go down into the watery grave of baptism, God will take all your sins and put them on Jesus Christ. If you come up out of that watery grave of baptism, having confessed the sweetest name, having repented of your sins, then God will make you a member of his forever family. If you're here tonight, you ought to come rejoicing that you can, even, you can be perfect even in your imperfections, but you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to stand on our feet and be led in the song of invitation. May God give you the courage to come. Come right now. I am 